welcome to .NET Rocks, ladies and gentlemen. I'm recording this on my Arcos Jukebox Multimedia, the handheld MP3 player. And uh, I'm sitting here on a couch at the Hilton on the Mississippi River in Nolens, Louisiana, talking with uh, Ingo Rammer. Mark is not here. Uh, I am at Dev Connections, the developer conference that you may or may not have heard of, Dev Connections. And... Uh, it's been a fabulous week here. We're just wrapping things up, the second to last day. And I'm sitting here with Ingo Rammer. And uh, how are you, Ingo? Hi, I'm fine, Carl. How are you? I'm just fine. And uh, we were joking before that you were going to make me do this whole show in German. Right. Yeah, Carl. Das habe ich mir schon gedacht, dass wir das auf Deutsch machen. Ach, du Lieber. <laughs> <laughs> hey, your German's great. <laughs> yeah, I can say, oh, dear, in several languages. Um... So, so tell me, uh, what, what sessions were you talking on and what tracks? Oh, right now I'm, actually I'm one of the few people who are talking on the C-sharp track and on the VB.net track. And today I did a session on the C-sharp track. It's been about convincing developers to look at enterprise services. Tomorrow we'll start with the usual remoting topics. Aha, uh -huh. remoting topics. Your, your book on, your books, I should say, you have a VB version and a C-sharp version. On .NET remoting, we've been talking about on this show for a long, long time, and um, and, and have sort of become the the standard guide for any programmer who's doing .NET remoting. How did you how did you nail that uh, that book and in that topic at the right time? I mean, how did that all happen? Well, this is a fun story. Actually, I've been I've been working with .NET since since pre-beta times, and I was sitting in on a talk by some, some German fellow called uh, Michael Willers, and he did a talk about remoting, and I said, dang, that's a great technology, all these extensibility points, the channel syncs, the message syncs. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to look into this more closely, and, well, finally I wrote a book on it. So you did you have a book in mind when you sat down to learn it? Did did you contact A-Press? Did they contact you? How did, it, how did the book deal come about? Yeah, this was the second talk at the same conference, actually. Right after Michael Willer's talk, it was the turn uh, for Dan Appleman to talk. And he talked on remoting as well. And yeah, I walked up to him afterwards and we nearly signed the deal there. Wow, that's incredible. How This is crazy, but how old were you? Oh, that's a secret. That's a trade secret. It's just, you're a young guy, though. <laughs> yeah. You're in your 20s? Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's just incredible. Um, but congratulations. How, how, do you know how many copies you've sold? Uh, no, I don't know, actually. It's been more than, more than 10,000 or so. That's good. That 10,000 is a lot in today's market. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, Billy Hollis was the first guy to talk about your book on our show. And, uh, and we've sort and I've, I've read it and, uh, and Mark has read it too. And it's really true that just like the first three chapters pretty much covers all the fundamentals of remoting, and, and then you go on to do some extra stuff. What is What are some of the extra things that you have in that book that go beyond the fundamentals? Well, I guess the, the book's most famous for its treatment of the kind of the extensibility hooks. It's like all these, how does remoting internal, how does it work internally, how a message syncs used, how channel syncs created and used, how can you even implement completely new formatters or channels. And, well, I guess that's the point why, why the book's been successful after all, because you can get part of this information about these interfaces in MSDN, but MSDN 
didn't tell you at this time and, and still doesn't tell you right now how to put all these interfaces together to, to create some real application. Um, what Rocky Latka was telling us uh, about remoting was that there's a whole sort of community that's growing up around remoting, sort of separate from the .NET programmer community that talks about remoting not only as technology but as a concept and are, are creating new new formatters and new channels. And uh, what are some of the more interesting channels and formatters that you've seen come out of that community? Yeah, actually the, the most interesting formatter has been a CORBA formatter. There's a there's a quite an active group working on on remoting dot corba as they call it, and that's a that's a format a channel combination which you can use to yeah kind of communicate with any corba server and that's pretty amazing because frankly we wouldn't see these kinds of things coming out of Microsoft directly but they provided the extensibility hooks that even these scary things are possible. Corba being a sort of interface to the to the other side right. the Unix world. The bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> the bad guys. Them. <laughs> Them right. who shall remain the dark side. <laughs> um, uh, one of the coolest uh, things that I've heard about, uh, some of the cool things I've heard about is sort of, well, let me back up a little bit. Um, the, the, the binary formatter and the, 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 the sockets channel is sort of like the, 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 the most performant model in remoting. And so sockets is sort of like the lowest level way that we can create, communicate across application domains currently. Rocky was talking about something called memory mapped files, which I haven't seen an implementation of yet. But um, what, what would that essentially let us do? Yeah, well, this, this would provide you with some means of absolutely high performance inter-process communication when running on the same machine. So what we have right now for this purpose is a named pipe channel, which is available at god.net.com. It's been written by Jonathan Hawkins, who was the original program manager for the remoting framework. So he really knew his way around. And yeah, he implemented this high-performance channel. But it's not memory-mapped files, it's a named pipe one. So what's the difference? I mean, what it, I, a named pipe I can sort of picture in my mind as being similar to sockets, as being like a the name of uh, of an area in memory that we're we're, we're writing to um, so it's sort of a similar technology what's what's the difference and what's performance difference i don't know 100% but i think the the performance difference isn't that high because if we're talking about name pipes on the same machine as far as i know they use uh, shared memory internally anyway and the only or the major difference is that it's way easier to use named pipes because well they work like a stream at the end of the day and if you do real shared memory exchanges you have to take care of all these issues like synchronicity synchronizing access to the shared memory on your own oh that's really cool so essentially what you could achieve with this is accessing objects on in different applications as almost as fast as if they were in the same process. Exactly right. That's the point. Yeah. If you sort of compare that performance-wise to the calm out-of-process server, I mean, what are we talking about in terms of uh, performance comparison? Oh, the, the thing here is that even, even calm used such a thing called the LRPC, a lightweight RPC mechanism, if you use it on a local machine. So I guess com is still a little bit sl a little bit faster because dotnet uses this highly flexible and and 
highly powered serialization mechanism, which allows you to send arbitrary large objects around in, in between your processes. And for DCOM, the, the serialization has been pretty much like determined at compilation time, whereas remoting looks at the objects and can serialize basically any object. So, so .NET remoting is more flexible, but a little bit of a performance price. Right, exactly. Oh, that's cool. Um, speaking of performance, uh, it's interesting that I've I've noticed that there's a couple of bugs in the remoting, and I know I've been I wa I went to ingorammer.com and you've got a blog or a forum up there, and I uh, was looking at some of the issues that that you were trying to address with people. One of them is an issue uh, with remoting where you're sending large amounts of data from a server to a client. What's, what is that, and, and, and is that going to be a problem, and how can we work around it, and is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Well, the main problem is, is basically the data set. The data set is a, it's a pretty scary thing because it's that powerful. It offers you so many options, but it's serialized to XML in any case. So if you use a binary formatter, so even if you use a binary formatter in remoting, it will still be serialized to XML. And remoting will only see this XML as a single string. So remoting doesn't know about the data set, it just knows about a string. And, well, yeah, the string contains XML, but you have all these overheads. And you even have, have the overhead twice, because there will be one serialization from data set to XML, and another one from XML to a remoting-compatible string, which will be used on the wire, which means it has to encode all the, all the angle brackets if you use the SOAP format, for example. So that's, that's pretty bad. So uh, what about, what? It, uh, have you seen this bug fixed in 1.1 framework or is there any, is, is it just an inherent by design flaw? Yeah, it's, it's an absolute uh, by design decision. It's not even a flaw, it's a decision. Right. So they said, okay, data set is based on XML, so well, that's the way it is. So what you can do or maybe should do in this regard is to kind of pass custom uh, business objects around over your remoting boundary using serializable objects if you don't need the features of a data set. Okay, so if I don't need the features of a data set, I can create like a, a sort of a data class that would hold, you know, maybe a collection of records or some array or, or something that's serializable. Yeah, or just create create real business objects like a serializable customer object, an order object, and pass them around between the boundaries. Okay, so now if you want data sets, one of the, one of the things that I've done in my work is with sockets, as you know, and I've created a socket server that will, and I got the idea from your book, actually. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. Uh, using the, um, the C sharp zip library. Yeah. That you, that you reference in your book, which is great, by the way. It's a freeware, uh, zip compatible compression library. And I use that to take, uh, to write an XML to a compressed stream. So I create a compressed stream from a memory stream and then do write XML on the data set into that where I pull out a byte array and send that byte array over sockets. So that way I have a little bit more control. And the performance has been way better than web services and slightly better than remoting. But it's curious because when I look at a binary formatted um, string of a, of a data set, it doesn't look compressed at all. In fact, it looks like XML with the spaces, with the white space right. taken that's, out. That's exactly what it is, yeah. It, it's not compressed if you use just a binary formatter. It basically takes the bytes out of memory, puts it into your message, and sends it over the wire. Right. And uh, so so that's an interesting an interesting issue. Um, you also, in your book, use this compression 
DL, this compression thing, but use it in a different way than I just described. I just described actually creating a stream where you, in your client processing, you have to sort of prepare everything. But the whole idea of remoting is cool is that, you know, it's transparent to your code. And, uh, so how do you use the compression DLL in your, in your book? Yeah, that's, that's one of the coolest features of remoting. So what I did is I created a custom channel sync on both the client side and the server side. Okay, hang on a sec. Explain to me what a sync is. Okay, a sync is basically one of the extensibility points in the remoting framework. So if you send a method call, if you invoke a method on a remote object, what will happen internally is that this, this kind of yeah, the, this virtual method call will be taken from a from a proxy object, will be converted to a message object, and this message will be passed on to different syncs. So what normally happens is this object will be passed to a so-called formatter sync, which converts the in-memory structure into something which you can send over the wire. That is, it converts it to a memory stream, <clears throat> which can be in a binary format or in a SOAP format. Then this, this stream is passed on to a next sync, which is a transport sync, which will then be used to pass this stream on to a second process. So they're just like little programs that stop along the way in the chain of getting from the server to the client. Right, absolutely. It will be passed on from one sync to the next until it reaches the final object. So what I did was I just created a custom sync and injected it between the formatter and the transport sync so that I can do online compression and decompression. That's great. And what kind of performance increase have you seen? <laughs> Bad question. <laughs> Bad question. I didn't compare it. I, I only looked at the, the bytes transferred. I, don't look, I didn't look at the, um, at the performance implications because any kind of compression is just a trade-off. You say, okay, do you have a high bandwidth link or a low bandwidth link? And do you have... It's a huge CPU power or just little CPU power, and you have to trade off. Right, I see. So there is overhead in doing the in the compression, which may or may not pan out depending on how fast your PC is and how much data you're you're sending. I had a I had a talk with a guy who came up to me at the show today and said that uh, he was having a problem because he has some old legacy um, some old legacy Unix machines that were trying to download through web services data on the order of one gig at a time. Oh, yeah. I guess that's not exactly the point of web services after all. No, no. And, uh, <laughs> and so I thought that, oh, just I, I said, is there any way you can redesign your app? He says, no, unfortunately, that, you know, we have these clients that are Unix clients. It's peer-to-peer, server-to-server, and it just, uh, you know, you could just see the, the desperation in this guy's, this poor guy's eyes. Yeah, I guess there are applications where you really have to deal with these amounts of data, but... Frankly, in this case, you can only use sockets or, or even custom UDP connections, something like this. You can't use any distributed application framework because, frankly, they have been thought to be used in a different way, not to transfer huge amounts of data. Right. So now, um, remoting for for the green listener out there um, that we've been talking about, if you've caught if you've caught any of the talks we've done with Rocky uh, or even Javal, that Microsoft is really pushing web services, web services here, web services there, web services everywhere as a means for getting data around. And even to the point where they're not talking about remoting a lot because they want to play in the web service space. And it's unfortunate because most of their customers are Microsoft to Microsoft, you know, applications, have have those kinds of applications. You know, a Windows client and a Windows server 
Should they really be looking at remoting first before web services? Well, it basically depends on what you're trying to achieve. So let's say if you if you have only .NET servers, .NET clients, and you can be 100% sure that there won't ever be a, a third party accessing your services, then you can look into remoting. If there is just a remote chance that there might be third parties using your service as a web service or that there might even be clients written on the other VM, uh, then maybe web services is the better idea. And my thinking, my immediate thinking is, well, you know, do them all, you know, you know, uh, because we can work so much smarter now and, and, and write less code and more, less code in, in less time to do more. You may end up using those same business objects, accessing them through a web service for your, for your non-Microsoft clients, but putting up a remoting yeah. uh, server f to access them through a, okay. So the other the other thing that I want to talk to you about is the um, the HTTP uh, channel and the binary formatter seems to be like the the decided on best practice Absolutely. for for most business solutions. Tell me tell me about that. Absolutely, and the reason for this is that the binary formatter gives you gives you great performance when compared to a SOAP formatter, and the HTTP channel gives you security. That is, it gives you either authentication, authorization, and or even encryption using SSL, using HTTPS. But you have to host them in IIS, which, well, is another advantage, so you don't have to write your own hosting process. And you get all these benefits when using the HTTP channel. As a matter of fact, um, I've got a remoting kit that I've created from conversations that I've had reading your book, conversations I've had with Rocky and with other customers who've used remoting, which is basically um, a config file snip for your uh, for your web application. That's like three or four lines in a config file. Um, it's a rule that says you you create your business objects as a component class, which derives from Marshall by ref object. So you're okay there, and uh, and you return data sets or you return functions and strings and classes and whatever you want from those business objects. You can use those same objects through web services, through remoting, through a local thing, through a web application, through a Windows app, through a Windows service, through a you know handheld mobile app, um, and, and and that seems to be a really good good thing. And the kit itself is just that client thing and and the rules about the objects and and like three or four lines of code that run on the client in the program to register the object. Um, yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah, that's that's one of these things where .NET is so flexible that it offers you more than one choice, but you actually can kind of integrate them to dynamically switch between the, the best options. Right. I think one of the things that people have found most confusing or difficult about remoting is the fact that it is so flexible, and there are so many options, and there's so many ways to do what you want to do the wrong way, you know, and there's usually only one or two ways to do it the right way. And so it comes down to finding out which, you know, which snippet of help file config stuff do I throw in there and, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, that's where a little bit of direction is, is really, really helpful. Right. That's, that's true because when looking at web services, on the other hand, you just write your web service. You have full tool support to generate the whistle, to kind of add web reference, to all this stuff is done automatically for you behind the scenes. When using remoting, you're basically on your own. You don't get any whistle support to generate proxies, so you have to share some metadata. And the issue is, there is this, yeah, there's more than one way to do it. You could just 
kind of copy your, your real server-side implementation to your client so that the client has access to the methods, so that the client-side application knows which methods your remote object offer. Or you could use some tool called SOAPSARTS, you could use interfaces, you can use abstract base classes. So you have a lot of choices, and there's only one right way. Right. <laughs> now, the SOAPSARTS thing that you mentioned, I, I mentioned that to people, and they go, no way. No. It's not really called SOAPSARTS, is it? <laughs> and uh, so SOAPSARTS is an executable that does what? It creates a, a, a shell class for your... Uh, for your business object, what does it do exactly? But it's a little bit of a scary tool. There's a great idea behind this tool that's, hey, just point it at my server-side DLL and extract all the, the method definitions, but just the definitions of them so that you can ship them to your client application. Thing is, the idea is great, but, well, yeah, that there's a but, and SOAPSARTS doesn't support all, all cases, uh, all applications, so one might actually run into problems when using SOAPSARTS. In other words, do you have to use a SOAP formatter? Is that the deal? Or can, will it just create a shell? What, what's the... Yeah, no, it, it just creates the shell. So it's just called SOAP SATS because it... I guess it has been uh, thought for using Whistle and SOAP, but actually you can use it with any formatter in general. No kidding. So I could use SOAP SATS to point it at a business object, and it would create like an empty class that just has the properties and methods with no code behind them. Right, exactly. Oh, that's beautiful. Um... Other than remoting, you've been doing some interesting talks here at Dev Connections. One of them was about the new uh, web service extensions. Have you done that talk yet? No, I'll do it tomorrow Tomorrow morning. Um, what can you say about that? I mean, I, obviously, you've done web services. You're doing the new extensions to web services and remoting. What's really cool about uh, these new extensions? Right. Okay, the extensions are... Basically, you know about the GXA stuff, all these new web service specifications and... There's a problem if you if you develop lots of new specifications. People want to see implementations, right? You can't develop uh, your application based on some specification, some specification of plumbing especially, because you aren't supposed to implement the plumbing yourself. So <clears throat> what Microsoft did here is they developed these uh, enhancements, these web service enhancements, to kind of give you um, the implementation of these specifications without having to wait for the next version of the .NET Framework. So you get, for example, a WS security implementation, which is even uh, interoperable with uh, Java, with a Java web service. That brings me to a question before you uh, just interrupt real quick. The, these web service extensions, are they based on standards that the web service consortium is approving, or what's the deal with that? Yeah, absolutely. They're based on WSI standards, GXA standards. Not all of these standards are currently owned by the same companies. There are some standards owned by Oasis, I think, some by uh, WSI Consortium, some by even the, the W3C. Wow. So that's, that's pretty split right now. And actually, all these, these, or most of these consortiums consist of the same companies. So that's the funny part of it. Right. There's just a little political stuff going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You can't play in my bathtub. I'm going to, I'm going to go take my marbles and go start my own consortium. Hey, it's Nick Landry. Yeah, it's so tempting to go make crash on your interview. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? Pretty good. Where were you? If I uh, grab a seat? No, go right ahead. Uh, right. You were just in the speaker's lounge uh, preparing for a talk or something? Actually, I was uh, reviewing uh, some of my prior talks because uh, I'm done with my talks right now. and uh, But I'm giving more some of these talks this weekend for DevTeach. And I was getting some feedback on a great talk that I had on SQL Server Notification Services. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of cool. It is a uh, it's a cool product, but it's not easy to learn. So it's one of those few times where I actually had to go through the tutorial in a thing to figure out how it works. Oh, okay. What do you think of the show so far? It's a cool show. It's the best one around. So of course, you know, we love it. And uh, in terms of uh, the attendees, it's I'm kind of surprised because, well, I'm here talking about mobility, and of course, uh, mobility is slow to pick up, and it seems like people still care more about objects and exception handling than they they do about mobility. But uh, that's okay. I guess we're just uh, a bit ahead on our times, but uh, we're having fun, and it's a great show. So it's always it, it is a great show, and uh, it's a, it's a shame that there aren't more people here. So you people go to devconnections.com and and check this conference out. The best content is here. Absolutely, and and the best parties too. We have. Do you, were you at the uh, the Microsoft Unplugged night last night? <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> were you there, Ingo? No, I haven't been there. No. Oh uh, well, let's put it this way: um, beer, pizza, programming, and if you get the answer wrong, you have to do a shot of Hurricane. <laughs> That was pretty good. I mean, it's the best way to hammer some developers, you know. <laughs> That's right. I was actually writing some code on stage, and they and while I was doing it, it was people were looking at their watches and getting a little antsy because I was writing code, you know. And Ari Bixhorn came over with a tray of shots and made me drink them while I was writing code. So no pressure or anything. No, of course not. I mean, that's the best way to write code, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> uh, what a fun night! What a fun night! This is uh this is a great conference and I uh you know they they treat the attendees well they they yeah. feed them well they uh there's lots of parties that and the content is just absolutely spectacular. Yeah and they just it it it's the whole combination. First of all there's the locations. It's always great locations. New Orleans, there's the next one in Palm Springs. Right. This fall this is going to be so amazing. Then we had uh, Scottsdale, Orlando. I mean, who wouldn't want to go to these conferences rather than go to some other city like, I don't know, San Francisco or New Chicago York, you know, or, or Chicago. <laughs> who the hell wants know. to go there? I don't know. There, there's, there are some shows that just keep sticking to these big urban cities rather than go to these great locations. Hey, you guys come to my conference. I bust your head. <laughs> yeah, something like that, exactly. And, uh, I don't know. The, the speaker selection also here is really amazing. I mean, I'm yeah. not including myself, of course, but it's just that the, the other guys, they're, they make an exception for me, of well, course. Well, you can include yourself. That's no problem. You're, you're a great speaker. Yeah, I don't know. They probably figured that for demographics, they need to have at least one French Canadian or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> you always seem to have a party when you show up on the yeah. show. I, for some reason, uh, you know, let's call Huckabee now and we'll have some more Bill Gates stories. Oh, yeah. Well, Huckabee's supposed to show up later, so hopefully, you know, we'll be able to join us and we can add a little. Uh, extra ad lib stuff on your uh, on your show. Right, we can hear what he's been up to. Um, well, if he if he happens to walk by, we'll we'll snag him. But uh, I doubt. It. Um, anyway, I was talking to Ingo here about uh, about some remoting stuff, and we we're just talking about the web services extensions. Well, WS Security is is one of the big ones that people are looking at. Um, now, from what I understand about the WS Security extension. That isn't like an implementation of a particular algorithm or anything, but it gives you an, uh, the chance to use your own kind of whatever whatever encryption method you want. Can we, can we talk a little bit about that one. Exactly, yeah. WS Security, as, as it is as a specification, is pretty much open. So it allows you to plug in your own uh, authentication tokens like Kerberos token or like um, X509 tokens like, or even a username password. Transfer. So you're you're pretty much open here, and that's that's a good thing because this allows it to to interoperate with Java, for example. And actually, if you just look at at it from the .NET side, the the WSE 
just provides you a, a basic implementation of, of the specifications so that you can hook into it to, for example, provide your own password providers, which can later be used to match username passwords without having to, to create any Windows NT user accounts for, for the users of your web service. That's really cool. You mentioned Java, and uh, you know we we take our shots at Java from here from time to time. But um, one of the one of the things I know about web services in Java is that on some I don't know if you how much you know about this, but on some versions of Apache, they actually came out with a new web service spec that was not compatible with the .NET web service spec, and there were some compatibility issues there because of something that Sun released or. That's, that's, that's the current problem we have in, in SOAP 1.1, SOAP 1.0, as it is right now, because, well, there are some, some parts in the specification which are not 100% clear. Right. So oh, you mean can like sections five and seven. Oh, right. They yeah, talk so about the, yeah, it's the, 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 the classic sections five and seven of the right. SOAP spec, which is in 1.1, actually. It's SOAP 1.2 yeah. that's changed. Right. And, uh, the, uh, it's the, the whole RPC encoded versus document literal. That's so hard. And, and that's, that's been decisions which I guess the original designers of the SOAP specification regret a little bit to have to, to include Section 5 in the original specification. So now we have this consortium called WSI who created a basic profile. They call it basic profile and they are basically all, all those companies. There's Sun, there's IBM, there's, well, yeah, Microsoft, obviously. And so they decided on a subset of the specification which has to be implemented to allow for, for intro. That's that's really cool. Do you do you know if there's anything I've I haven't heard of anything, but I know that something was happening. Is there anything in the Java world that you know of that that is coming out to sort of make web service development easier? Maybe not as easy as uh, .NET. I don't. I can't believe it, anything. It's pretty hard to be to make it easier than .NET. <laughs> I mean, short of talking to Visual Studio and building it for you. I mean, it's really true. But uh, but you know. But I have, I don't, I mean, you mentioned it. I just didn't know if you knew of anything that was coming. It, because, you know, it's going to be good for Microsoft that Java comes out with something that's going to allow a Java developer to develop yeah. web services that can talk to .NET applications. Actually, yeah, actually, that's a good idea. That's a good thing for, for us, for all of us. Absolutely. And I think it's, yeah, at the end of the day, it's mainly a problem of the IDs. It's not a problem of the platform. Because it's not just .NET, which makes it easy to develop web services. It's uh, Visual Studio at the yeah. end of the day. And I guess we'll see some similar things on the Java side as well. Yeah, I hope so. We're waiting for it. But then again, you know, I'm seeing the same kind of behavior that we've been seeing at the beginning of web services in the Java world. Because Sun doesn't want yeah. to endorse web services, oh, well, but they care. have to. Sun because, you know, it's just like cutting their whole strategy in terms of Java because their strategy was to connect all the systems and all the platforms together using the same language. People think that the write once, run everywhere thing was just about running the same application and running it everywhere. But the big thing is having different applications that run on all different platforms, but they're all talking to each other because Java is everywhere. Whereas if you bring a solution that says, wait a minute, you don't have to write, rewrite all your code. You can reuse your mainframes, your Macs, your IBMs, and your Linux machines or and Windows. Your development environment. That's the point. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And stick to WebSphere if you want, or Windows, or DNA, or .NET, and just write web services, and you don't have to rewrite anything. You just have to open a new kind of door, and everybody will be able to, able to talk to each other. And right. Sun, they're like, no, we don't want that, because yeah. then... It's what? at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. 
why the heck would someone use Java after this? <laughs> well, why indeed? I mean, <laughs> that's the question I want to know. So if you look at the Java space, who's driving web services? Well, that's not Sun, that's IBM. It's IBM. Yeah. And, and, and With WebSphere, right? Yeah, well, the thing that's the thing. IBM wants to sell their machines, their platform, and yeah, WebSphere, and their products. Right. They don't and care about Java. Sun just wants to sell Java. Exactly, but IBM doesn't care about Java. They just endorse it because it works great for them but other than that they couldn't care less so and if dot net sells them more machines guess what they're turning on a dime exactly so that's why sun is really really pissed about this one because ibm is not playing the java game very well not only is sun pissed but oracle is pissed i mean they are falling behind in the tpcc numbers aren't they right absolutely currently it's not just that that windows is leading uh, price performance but it, they are leading just a hardcore performance tpc benchmarks so it's not looking good. Well, anyway, it's an it's another example of Microsoft just writing really good stuff, and yep. and and that's why people use it. You know, we it's not because we drank the Kool Aid. <laughs> <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> yeah, well, I would never want Larry Ellison to have as much power as Bill Gates. Anyways, that'd be that'd be a bad world to live a yeah. bad world to live in. <laughs> I guess he's a little bit scary. That's just what's the business kind of vision he shares, apart from, I like to crush Microsoft. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it would probably all end up in tubes like in the Matrix or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Powering Oracle servers. <laughs> well, um, what about what about tools? Programming tools, or if not programming tools, your favorite things that, utilities that you've downloaded. Have you downloaded anything that's cool? And I don't mean wow. like, you know, f music sharing or anything, but something that a programmer would think would be really cool. Oh, I'm I'm mostly into programmers tools. I'm you know I'm just a workaholic. I'm <laughs> I'm not playing at all. I'm just just uh, into work. But so, yeah, uh, Ingo, I'm sorry, but did I didn't I like log on one night and I saw that your 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 name in MSN <laughs> Messenger was was in XML and then it said current game equals freelancer state. <laughs> <laughs> State oh, no, this wasn't me. Busted. State equals do not disturb. <laughs> oh, dang, you caught me on this You're one. Busted. <laughs> All right, so uh, so programming tools, what do you like? Yeah, Third apart party from, tools. from Microsoft Freelancer, which is quite an important tool for every programmer. What's that, Microsoft <laughs> Freelancer? Just, yeah, just oh, the, that's the game. Right? Favorite game. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It shows what I know. I guess the number one tool is uh, Lutz Röder's Reflector. That's reflector. Okay, now the, you're the second person I've heard mention reflector at this conference. I still don't know what it is. What is it? It's a, it's a great kind of glass glass browser, component browser, but it goes down to a. I guess in the meantime they even have a C sharp disassembler inside. Oh, ooh. So it shows you everything about components. So for example, oh wait a minute, Michael Stewart mentioned this. Now I'm remembering. All right. Now, for example, you can even go to to some method of of even the MS Corelib, click on it and say, hey, which other methods uh, call into this, this single method I selected? So you can get all those kinds of call information and, and things. And it doesn't use reflection, if I understand. Absolutely. It's fully based on reflection. It's a managed application. You might oh, it is based on reflection. Somebody, somebody I was talking about Reflector with told me that it goes beyond, does some stuff that's right. not... Yeah, yeah, it uses some unmanaged APIs. Some unmentioned APIs, yeah. Yeah, right. So, like... But unlike Anacrino, for example, the second most important tool, which is kind of the current... Uh, and what's it called? Anacrino. Anacrino. Right. That's the uh, MSIL2 C-sharp decompiler number one. 
Ooh, MSIL to C sharp. So if you have MSIL, it will decompile to C sharp code. Right. So you can, for example, look right into the source code of, well, the base.NET framework. And, but this application is a purely unmanaged C++ application. There's no managed code inside. There's no reflection inside. Wow. Hey, look, it's Fernando Guerrero. <laughs> How are you doing, buddy? Very well, thank you. And you? Ready for the party? <laughs> Ready for the party. We're at, I'm, I'm actually going to pass on the party because I have some stuff to... Oh, I'm Carl, sorry. come on. No, no, no. Come to the what party. are you going to do during the night? Well, I'm going to write some code I, that I have to that present at DevTeach. No, Are no. You geek. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm so lame. Well, Fernando, how did your sessions go? Well, I'm very happy. Apparently, people are very happy as well. So, what can I say? <laughs> what, what did you talk about? Today, it was about uh, how to build your own data adapter and how to modify the behavior of the data adapter in SQL Server data provider. Awesome. So, we're talking about what? Uh, using timestamp fields and, yeah. and doing your own. That's right. Running your own one from two points of views, building your own procedures to implement different ways of optimistic concurrency and also modifying your data adapter to provide different functionality, extra functionality as well. Oh, that's great. You rock. So somebody told you today that this was the best session that they've ever seen? Yes, they told me so. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. What do you think of the conference in general? People are very happy with the conference. At least the feedback I have from attendees. Yeah. They told me that it's, um, they're, it's very worth the money they spend on this. Cool. They're learning a lot. So it's good. So are you, are you planning on going to the, uh, the, the little Mardi Gras that they have scheduled for us? Absolutely. Oh, jeez. <laughs> We're all going to be there. <laughs> We're all going to be there. We'll call you. Hey, actually, Carl, you can just, just, just bring your pocket PC and you can code right over there if you want. Oh, uh, yeah. No, not really. But... <laughs> Okay, well, good to see you. I know you're just walking by, so I won't keep you. We'll talk another day. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, so what were we talking about? Oh, tools. Uh, the, the tool you were talking about after Reflector was... Uh, Anacrino. Anacrino, okay. And that's the uh, MSIL to C-sharp decompiler, which allows you to really kind of dig into the base framework to basically see more or less the source code of the base framework. That's that is just absolutely insane. I just can't can't imagine. And it really works well. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've I've written huge parts of my book based on information gained using this tool. So so did you actually it's like all the tools you prefer are tool, tools, tools that enable you to steal somebody else's code. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we've got, we've got to learn, right? So, but, but tell me, did you buy your copy of Freelancer? Should the Microsoft people look you up in the registration database? Absolutely not. That's one of the few Microsoft products I really bought for my own money, right? So it's a one of the few ones. So what else did you, didn't you buy and go? <laughs> now no. that you're on the spot and on the internet radio. <laughs> No, I mean the other has been given to me, right? Because I'm such a friendly, nice guy. Oh, yes, yes. So. Right. <laughs> so obviously all the copies of software I use are fully licensed. Absolutely. It's a good thing that this is a radio show because attendees and listeners can see that Ingo is sweating <laughs> a lot right now. <laughs> How about you, uh, uh, Nick? What, what kind of tools do you like? What's, what, it just from third-party tools, you know, uh, peop, things that normal normal people would use, not to, to decompile the... Uh, framework but actually one tool that I it's not really a tool for developers it's just something that's really helpful though for developers or presenters or anything and it's a uh, virtual PC technology absolutely yeah I that's, can absolutely second 
this is something that's great because I, I discovered that initially with the VMware product, and then after that I kind of migrated to virtual PC by Connectix. Actually, Microsoft bought that technology uh, two months ago. They purchased the virtual PC technology. And uh, it's cool because it enables you to just run a complete virtual machine inside of your computer. So, for example, on my laptop, I've got the Windows 2003 Enterprise uh, server running inside of a virtual PC operating system, uh, virtual PC uh, host ma guest machine. And I don't have to screw up my whole laptop, like uh, wondering if it's going to affect anything in my machine. Haven't we? We've had this kind of technology in the past. Has it just not worked as well as it does now? Is that the deal? It's it's pretty much it because now it's very seamless. For example, when you add, uh, you've got additions you can, or I don't know how what they call them, extensions or virtual PC extensions, where you can just move your mouse around. And if your mouse is over the virtual PC, then it's that PC that's going to capture the mouse. And if it's over another window on your guest on your host uh, OS, then that PC is going to grab it. You can access shares. You can uh, you. Yeah, exactly. You can do stuff like that, like copying, or you can just like uh, map an ISO file, and that's going to become a drive in your pocket piece, in your uh, virtual PC. And uh, it's such a good technology that, first of all, yeah, as I said, Microsoft has uh, purchased purchased the technology for use in future. So, products. which one? Which one do you like the best? Between the there's, two, there's VMware and virtual PC. Is that it? Well, I'm going to be fair to VMware. I haven't tried the latest version. It, the, the last one that I tried was only compatible with Windows 2000, and I had a beta that, that ran Windows XP back then in 2001. So I'm going to be fair, and I'm not going to compare too much. But uh, since I have the latest version of Virtual PC, I can say that this one runs really, really well. I mean, when you try to configure a new PC, it helps you to tune the whole thing. And uh, essentially, that's my cell phone. That's great. That's a smartphone right there. Yeah, that's it? a smartphone right here. <laughs> that's the first one I've seen. Let me let me see that. Yeah, there's a lot of people that were looking at me and saying, "Who said who has a smartphone?" You're like Mister Device. You are. Yeah, well, I'm Mister Mobility, I guess. It's a actually a pre-commercial version of a smartphone that's going to be sold by uh, Everlink Wireless here in the it's US. It's pretty small. Yes, it is still fairly small. I guess I can give you a picture you can put on the uh, on the website. Oh, yeah, sure. Just, just give me the phone. Keep the picture. Yeah, yeah. Nice try. <laughs> Another thing you want trying to steal from. Me. <laughs> I'm just optimizing here. Right? So no, that's no. alright. He'll give you a couple beaver pelts for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're back with the beaver stuff. So uh, no, it, it, it's it's a cool phone because um, I'm sure a lot of people have been reading about the smartphone already. Right. And. Uh, I guess it's the the combination. I thought I would be pref preferring my uh, pocket PC to this device, but there's a part of me that prefers this because, first of all, it dials much faster into the network because the GPRS is supported, which is the, the wireless WAN connection to connect to the wireless Internet. It's built in now. You don't have to have this weird connection string that you set into the uh, the, the, the iPack or these other devices like my Toshiba, and uh, it dials pretty fast. Uh, you get SMS directly in there. And um, the fact that I can surf the web with just one hand, because I've wow. got this little joystick thingy on top, wow. it allows me to just surf the web. It's full HTML, so it's not any WAP WML crap where you wow. don't, where you don't have anything in there. And uh, it's, uh, it's and it obviously uh, runs Pocket PC. Uh, no, this is not Pocket PC. This is the Microsoft Smartphone 2002 OS. Oh, it's a different OS. Yeah, well, just like. Well, it's it's the same OS, just like Pocket PC 2000 and 2002 are shell extensions on Windows CE3. Right. Smartphone 2002 is also a shell extension on Windows CE3, but it's a, it's a smaller version, of course, because you don't have uh, as many resources in there. But right, you you wouldn't make a client app for it, in other words, or could you? 
oh sure, you can you can develop for this. Unfortunately, the compact framework doesn't support it yet, but Microsoft has already announced the next generation of smartphones. How cool is that, man? That yeah. is so cool. That's going to run on the Windows C.NET version 4.2. Hey, you know, was it you we were talking about the, with the last show about Sprint PCS and yes. how cool it was? And uh, I actually bought it the other week. I got a Sprint P P PCS card. And Ken Getz also has it. And we are sitting at lunch together. Ken has the PCMCIA card. I have the PCMCIA card. He's using it from his laptop. I'm using it from my pocket PC, my iPac. Yeah. Okay? We're both connecting to the same bandwidth testing uh, site, which is at McAfee.com. Okay. Bandwidth meter. Okay? He's getting 56, 58K on his laptop. I'm getting 14K on my, on my iPac. And I say to you, Mr. Landry, what's up with that? Um, it could be two things. First of all, it could be the, the PCMCIE interface to your iPad. Maybe it's not using the full uh, bus in terms of, of, of transfer capabilities. But I doubt it's that because since it's only a few Ks and that's made for a few megabytes. So it's probably just the, the software driver that uh, is because you probably have a, a, a separate driver for that card for your pocket PC. Couldn't be that the CPU on the pocket PC is just not keeping up with the with the Well, it's I don't think it's a question of a CPU not keeping up because I've actually had uh, I have a Toshiba E740 and I've got an AudioVox compact flash card that connects over GPRS which is uh, an equivalent and it's probably the same thing as Sprint PCS anyways. And uh, that compact flash card gives me performance of up to 30 or 40k. Wow. So I don't think it's a limitation of the operating system. It's probably just a driver thing. That's cool. Hey, getting back to you for a second, Ingo. Um, you have obviously are completely immersed in the .NET remoting community. What are some of the companies that – do you know of any companies that are implementing remoting that, that the, the listeners would recognize or some success stories that you heard of uh, through, the, through the forums or, or anything else uh, that you can share with us? I guess actually lots of companies use remoting to communicate between their client apps and their app servers, or maybe even to communicate between some ASP.NET application and the backend business logic server, if they want to separate them due to security reasons. And what I don't think you hear too many success stories, you didn't hear too many success stories about uh, DCOM, because, well, that was just the way, that's just the way it is. Well, like, there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever try using DCOM over the like, internet, you have to open nobody, a hole in the firewall. Right, right. No, but, but just for local apps. For local apps. Yeah. If you, like, like hundreds or thousands of companies used uh, DCOM for no, the local true. apps. Right. And these same companies uh, now look into remoting or use remoting. We actually have a, um, a su the success story, the first success story show that we did, which is, as of this taping, the only one we've done, was a profile of two companies, and one of them was a company that was looking into web services for supporting about seven or eight hundred satellite um, offices to talk to one central database, and they wanted a Windows application. And uh, we were talk we were talking back and forth between web services and remoting. At the time, I didn't have enough of a handle on remoting, and and all of my experiences with it have been had been you know crash and burn because I didn't because <laughs> I didn't capitalize, you know, the, the, the right letter in the config file right. and I got an error like, you know, uh invalid cast or well, something. It, it's too high level for you. You're you're used to working lower <laughs> level in the sockets level. <laughs> That's you know. true. But it's a matter of also just not knowing what the hell to put in those config files and where to there's so many options. I mean that's why it's nice to have some clear, concise examples like I found in your book. Yeah, anyway, just 
Right. It wasn't it wasn't available. Oh, you're taking off? Yeah, I'm going to take off. So, uh Okay, well, goodbye everybody yeah, and thanks. hopefully I'll be uh, joining you again for another show at some other time. Yeah. And in the meantime, people come to Dev Connections. This is the best show. Absolutely. So. All right, you have fun tonight. And if just to meet Carl. Yeah, well. <laughs> Not to mention you and Ingo. <laughs> All right. Well, ciao. Have fun, Bye. Okay. So, so it was really nice to see um, those examples in your book, and, and in fact, they went on to use remoting with HTTP, um, you know, with the HTTP channel and the binary formatter, very successfully to transmit data sets back and forth using an auto-deployed Windows application, which to me seems to be like the holy grail of .NET. You know, that that the is auto like deployment features. the so auto-deployment with a combination of that and remoting, uh, yes. with those two settings. Absolutely. And the only ADO drawback is that you have to adjust the security settings because remoting needs full trust security. That's right. And Rocky Latka has addressed that with his little Netrun component, um, which you, 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 it's a little con uh, console application that you pass a URL to an EXE, and with the full trust context, then it goes out and downloads the code and runs it. So. So it gets around that. So it's kind of a devious little program. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> think about it. I guess your system administrator wouldn't like to hear. No. <laughs> <laughs> but a simple way to do that is to use the trusted sites list. Absolutely, and that's. I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> right. The problem with that, I guess, is that anybody can just add any site to their trusted sites list. But at least it's the user that's doing it, right? right? Um, and then you have to increase the trust for trusted sites. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Well, maybe we see some adjustments in the future about these kinds of security zones. But, well, yeah, right now you have to, to manually tweak it a little bit. Tweak it a little bit. Okay, cool. Well, uh, you got any last-minute words of wisdom to impart on the listening audience? This is something I like to do at the end of the show. Well, yeah, as Nick said, come to Dev Connections. <laughs> no, uh, frankly, uh, the, the show is great. The what city is, is great. Yeah, what are some of the sessions you've attended? Oh, actually, I had to finish my own sessions. That's the problem. Yeah. So if you're talking, I'm doing like five sessions here. So wow. I really, I really had to work on them. So when you're not talking, you're back working on your stuff. Yeah, right. Absolutely. What are some of the ones you wish you had seen? Oh, I wish I had seen um, Francesco's. Yeah. This, this one sounds damn interesting. That's, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Fernando. Fernando. Yeah. Fernando. Uh, not friend. Not friend. Yeah, right. Right, Francesco's the other guy. The the other BP guy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, his his stuff sounds very very intriguing. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, on behalf of myself and and the listening public out there, I want to thank you very much for for sharing your thoughts and your your talents. Thank you, Carl. All right. We'll, we'll see you again next time. Right. See you next at the next show. Right. All right. Good night. Time, boy, life is hard.